Good morning. Will we start with that? Hello. For those of you who might not know me, um, I'm Morag. I've been uh, kicking around Kingdom Vineyard and the wider vineyard for about probably longer than I actually want to admit to. Um, But I'm privileged here to be part of the preaching team. And last week, we had a pause in our teaching teaching series to share communion together, which was just absolutely lovely. Um, But this week, we're picking up Luke again. In our series in Luke, we kind of sauntered through Jesus' birth and early life, taking time to meet the characters, which we might only have glanced at in passing before. But now we're picking up the pace as we join Jesus in his public ministry. Jesse spoke on Jesus' time in the wilderness, and a couple of weeks ago, Rachel described how Jesus started his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. Both talks are available on our website or as a podcast, and I would highly recommend catching up on them if you missed them live. As Rachel shared with us in her talk, Jesus' reception in Nazareth was what could be described at best as mixed. And it ended up with him escaping from a crowd that wanted to throw him off a cliff. So Jesus sets up base in his early days of ministry in a town set on the north shore of the Lake of Galilee called Capernaum. And that's where we pick up the thread with today's passage from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. Now, I'm afraid I don't have a wee sidekick to come and read this for me mainly because I prepare too late to organize that. So you're stuck with my voice this morning. But anyway, so this is, uh, if you've got your Bible devices, paper, it'll also come up there. So I will read from Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all, and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. So she got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, 
They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because this, that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I was trying to think of a title for this sermon, because uh, I know that there's people who like that sort of thing. Um, and I was thinking that it should be something about Jesus' authority. But as I was looking into that as a theme, I discovered that this is a topic that Luke will come back to again and again. It's a thread that runs right through this gospel. So I've gone for Jesus' authority, part one. <laughs> Just so I don't step on the toes of other speakers who come after me. In today's passage, we find Jesus, again as he was at Nazareth, teaching in the synagogue. And similarly, the audience's first reaction was amazement due to the authority with which Jesus taught. Obviously, we can't know the exact reason why the crowd was amazed by the way that Jesus taught and why the authority he seemed to have was so remarkable. As a preacher, it's definitely a high bar that he set, um, one that I'm, sorry to disappoint you, I'm unlikely to hit this morning. I have read a few suggestions um, about why Jesus, the teacher, was so different to what the people were used to. It could be that his teaching was original, as opposed to the normal way that rabbis would teach, which would be to normally to quote other scholars and rabbis, and where deviation from the tradition or the orthodoxy just wasn't done or expected. In Jesus, we essentially have the author of the scriptures explaining his own work. If you've ever heard an author talking about their own book, it can bring out a perspective that you might never pick up on yourself, and it can illuminate the story in an incredible way. Jesus' understanding of the scriptures and how they relate to him and his purpose would be, by definition, second to none. I would have loved to have been present in that synagogue, to have heard Jesus live. How incredible would that have been? Another reason I think Jesus' teaching was different was the fact that he was down to earth. Jesus' teaching throughout the Gospels is not highbrow or academic, but relatable to the ordinary people. His parables all take examples from day-to-day -day life, shepherds, farming, family situations. He knew his audience. He didn't feel the need to impress with his intelligence, but made his teaching accessible for all. Okay, so we've made it through the first two verses. Let's move on. We continue to see the power of Jesus' authority. At verse 33, it says, In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice. But Jesus rebukes him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and in power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. 
I don't want to dwell too much on demons and impure spirits. I just want to quickly say a couple of things. Could it be that what being is described is some sort of disease that in Jesus' time was undiagnosed? Could be. Could it also be that something evil was oppressing this poor human being? Could be. I don't have an extensive background of theology on demons or evil spirits, but I do believe that people can be oppressed or possessed, and please don't pick me up on terminology, but, but they can be oppressed by something that is spiritual in nature and evil. I also believe that Jesus can deal with them, and my evidence is what we've just read. If you need to have a more in-depth discussion on this topic, can I respectfully ask that you maybe talk to your home group leader, Jim and Rachel, or take it to pub church? Thank you. The impure spirit here recognizes the Holy Spirit in Jesus and knows that it is beaten. Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus does indeed deal with it swiftly, authoritatively, and without any harm coming to the poor man. Moving on from the synagogue, it would seem that Simon had invited Jesus round for lunch. Capernaum was the hometown of Simon, who will become known as Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who will become Jesus, uh, some of Jesus' first disciples. So when Jesus arrives at Simon's house, he finds that Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And it would seem that this mother-in-law, unlike any mother-in-law in in the jokes of the 70s and 80s, is actually liked. And Jesus is asked to help her, which he duly does by rebuking the fever. And she gets up fit and healthy. As the um, raging feminist that I am, I've always been a bit uncomfortable with the fact that we're told that Simon's mother-in-law immediately gets up and begins to wait on them. The poor woman has just had a raging fever. But I've made my peace with this, with this explanation. I think Luke tells us that she gets up and starts waiting on them to highlight the fact that the healing was immediate and full. No lingering after effects. So mum-in-law just goes back to doing mum-in-law things. A fisherman who was healed in the same way would immediately go back to fishing. A teacher healed in the same way would immediately go back to teaching. You get my point. The raging feminist in me cannot change the fact that at the time, mum-in-law's job was to provide the hospitality and to wait on them. News of these two events the casting out of a demon, and the healing of Simon's mother-in-law is clearly spreading across the town. And as, it, as the Sabbath comes to an end, when people can move around more freely again, people start bringing everyone who is sick, and Jesus heals them. And we're told demons come out of many people as well. Jesus rebukes the demons and doesn't let them speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Now, this seems a bit odd to me. Why wouldn't Jesus want everyone to know that he is the Messiah? Surely that's the reason for this public ministry. I'm not sure I've got a good answer to this one, but 
It's not as if Jesus is trying to avoid opposition. He's already had that in Nazareth, and it will follow him wherever he goes. But it may be that the testimony of demons is one he's not too keen to have. It's not exactly a reputable source. (laughs) My thoughts are that this is about timing. Jesus and the Father will have their timetable, which doesn't need to be derailed by impure spirits. I also think that Jesus wanted people to make up their own minds about him. After this full-on day, Jesus takes himself off to a solitary place. In the Gospels, we often see Jesus take take himself off to solitary places so he can pray and spend time with his Father. We're not specifically told that on this occasion that Jesus was praying, but I suspect that would have been at least part of it. But I also suspect that these times were about self-care too. There's a buzzword for you, self-care. And I I think it is possible that that it can be used, you know, a bit of a cop-out as an excuse to shirk responsibilities or duties. But I also think it is vital for human beings. I think Jesus took himself off to solitary places for rest, possibly sleep, and for spending time with God. These were the times that allowed him to carry on with his mission. I recommend to you rest, sleep, and spending time with God. Not to get you out of what you need to do, but to enable you to do the things you need to do. Coming out of this time of rest, Jesus moves his mission on, knowing that he needs to bring the good news of the kingdom to other towns, and he keeps on teaching in the synagogues. What do we think Luke's purpose is in sharing these events with us? I think for that, we need to have a quick look back at verses 18 and 19. And you might remember this from Rachel's talk. Verse 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you remember, Jesus quotes this passage from Isaiah when he preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth. He goes on to say that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. As Luke goes on and describes the events that we've read today, they illustrate in real events that Jesus was doing exactly what he said he would do. As Rachel said, this is Jesus' mission in his own words. And guess what? His actions back up his words. In his teaching around the synagogues, he preaches the good news to the poor and proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. In casting out demons and healing the sick, he is setting free the prisoners and the oppressed. His words and actions are in sync. The very definition of integrity and one of the reasons his teaching is regarded as having authority. People see through you pretty quickly if you stand up in public and say one thing, but your actions don't back up your words. Jesus' words stand firm in the light of his actions. 
As I've titled this talk, Jesus is Authority, part one, let's talk a bit about authority. Jesus rebukes both the demons and physical sickness. His words contain power and authority over them so that they have to obey him. We're going to come across this again and again in Luke's gospel. But the incident which might come immediately to mind is when Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and as he and his disciples are crossing Lake Galilee, which you can read in Luke chapter 8. Excuse me. We now have demons, diseases, and the weather obeying the words of Jesus. No wonder people were amazed. We'll also see later on that Jesus' disciples were given power and authority to go and do the same. He sends out the 12 in chapter 9 and 72 in chapter 10. This authority appears to be transferable to whoever Jesus chooses to share it with. I'm desperately trying not to spoil anyone's future sermon. But the understanding of Jesus' authority is perfectly illustrated by the faith of the centurion, an encounter that Luke describes in chapter 7. This is what the centurion says in verses 7 and 8. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion is under authority. The authority is not his own. It comes from his commanding officer, and ultimately Caesar himself. But still, his commands are obeyed, and he expects them to be obeyed, by those he has authority over. Jesus' authority comes from the Father and is granted to him as the Son, part of the Trinity. But remarkably and incredibly, Jesus grants his authority to his disciples, who can expect their commands to be obeyed because of the clout of the one who has granted them authority. And just in case I've not made this clear, Jesus gives his authority to his disciples. Who are Jesus' disciples? Just the 12? No, he gives it to the 72. So just the 72? Or is it meant to multiply and multiply? Yes, I'm in no doubt about that. We are Jesus' disciples and he gives his authority to us. Like the centurion, we exercise Jesus' authority and demons and sicknesses see him and not just us and obey accordingly. I believe that Jesus' authority over demons, diseases, and the natural world are signs that in Jesus' kingdom, all things are made new, put right, and creation returns to the state in which it was originally intended to be where the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. And just a quick word about what Jesus' authority is not. This is, again is from Luke, and it's in chapter 22. 
it's at verse 25. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. It should never be far from our minds that the same Jesus who exercises ultimate authority over demons, diseases, and the natural world is the same Jesus who took off his outer garment, knelt on the floor, and washed feet. I hope today that I have whetted your appetite for what is to come and what more we will discover about Jesus' authority as we journey through Luke. I usually like to end my sermons with practical applications from the passage. And I think that the practical outworking of the authority I believe Jesus has given to us will come in the ministry time we're about to embark on. We can hopefully listen to him and be his eyes, hands, and voice, exercising his authority right here and now. But I would also like to leave us with a sense of wonder, awe, and incredible love for this amazing man. It is so good to talk about Jesus. Jesus was and is incredible. Demons and diseases obey his word. Wind and waves act according to his command. His authority was and is the ultimate authority. And that took him to kneeling on the floor, washing feet. Took him to a bloody and painful death on the cross. But also took him to the victory of the resurrection. If you're able, please stand and I'll pray for us. After um, I've prayed, we'll move into the what we call ministry time. So if you would like prayer for anything, we know that Jesus has got it. <laughs> his authority is the ultimate authority, and his presence is here. So if you would like prayer, please, as the band start to play after I've prayed, please do come forward, and people from home groups will come alongside you and pray with you. Jesus, I do thank you that yours is the ultimate authority, but that you exercise that authority as a servant king. Would you come now, Lord? Be with us, Jesus. Help us to understand how to wield your authority here and now. Let us see your kingdom come. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.